is that time of year when uh, the New York Times list of best-selling books comes out. Has anybody checked out the best-selling list yet? Um, Dinah has. Did you get any of them? Okay. Um, it's, it's the perfect timing. I don't know if this is just how it works, but it's the perfect time when we all have a few extra days off uh, to sit in front of the fireplace and read a book. Um, so I hope you get to do that in the next few days. Uh, there are some interesting books on the list. Um, as always, um, I always look at the nonfiction. Um, there's a bunch of uh, biographies and autobiographies. Um, and the other place that I always go to on the bestsellers list is the, uh, well, the, the books that teach us how to think and the self-help, the psychology, the philosophy type books. Um, I love them because they help us understand how we tick as humans. Um, and so there are a couple of favorites on the list. Um, there's one that's been on for 104 weeks, Atomic Habits. I think I actually talked about it this time last year. Uh, Atomic Habits is all about um, creating um, processes to put habits into place in our life so that we can succeed. Um, there's another one that I haven't read yet, but it sounds really interesting. Um, Bessel van der Kolk, um, 165 weeks on the list, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, this one is um, about how trauma affects the body and the mind and actually how therapy can help us rewire our brain so that our somatic responses to trauma um, aren't overwhelming. I haven't read it yet, but I'm, I think I'm going to order it. It sounded really great. Um, and when it's been on for 165 weeks, you know it's a good one. Um, and there's a new one on the list too, just released two weeks ago, the end of November, Brene Brown. Um, it's called Atlas of the Heart. Um, now, she apparently in this book uh, lists out, or she identifies 87 emotions and experiences um, that define what it means to be human. That's why it's an atlas. It's, it's a whole bunch. And the idea, I guess, behind it is to give us an extended uh, vocabulary to talk about what's going on inside. I think that's really interesting. Um, and it'll be good uh, for people's emotional intelligence and uh, we all need to know what's going on inside of us. It can be quite confusing at times. I think that's why these um, personal development books are so, happy, uh, so popular. You know, whether you call them self-help or advice or practical philosophy, whatever you call them, uh, these books help us to understand ourselves and how to live well in the world. Uh, to put it more grandly, these books are about the pursuit of wisdom. Now, the hard thing about the pursuit of wisdom is that there are so many voices of wisdom out there, aren't there? Um, there are authors and writers and teachers and philosophers. There are media personalities and pop psychologists. Then there's, you know, the music industry and the film industry. And then there's the internet, which is an infinite source of potentially disastrous wisdom. How do you pick and choose the voices that you listen to? because they don't all espouse the same wisdom and in fact they don't all even agree with one another we can't just say that all wisdom is equal so where can wisdom be found uh, over the next two weeks today and next week uh, we're going to be looking at another source of wisdom which is the bible um, and what it says about wisdom so why don't we pray and then we'll look into what god teaches us in his word um, dear heavenly father in you we find all wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Help us today to be taken captive by your wisdom. Help us to become wise, no matter how old we are, so that we can live every day to the glory of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Uh, I got three big ideas today. Um, I'm gonna to be talking about Old Testament wisdom today and then New Testament 
wisdom next week, just so you know the, the breakdown. Don't be surprised when there's not a lot of New Testament today. Three big ideas, the origin of wisdom, the outcome of wisdom, and then obtaining wisdom. And I think I've got them around the wrong way. The first point, the origin of wisdom. Now, if you ever went to Sunday school and I asked you, where does wisdom come from? Your Sunday school answer is? Got Jesus Bible? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty simple. Wisdom comes from God. And principally, we know his wisdom by reading the Bible. We read the words of God in the Bible. In the Bible, you can find pearls of wisdom all the way throughout. Uh, but there are particularly a few books of the Old Testament and um, at least two in the New Testament that we specifically call wisdom literature. Um, so the, the wisdom books teach us how to live. Uh, so the Old Testament, you have Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. They're really right in the middle of the Bible there. And in the New Testament, maybe James, and then there's some wisdom scattered in other places too. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians briefly next week. But if we could boil down all of the Old Testament wisdom literature and distill it into just the one line, what would it say about wisdom? What would the Bible tell us about wisdom? Well, I've got it captured for you in a nutshell right there at the top of your notes where it says beginning of wisdom. Here it is in Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowing the Holy One is how we learn to understand. Um, so what does it mean to fear the Lord? I watched a documentary not too long ago. Uh, it was about people who survived incredible accidents, um, and the common thread was that they were all captured on video. People's smartphones are always out these days. And the film in question is this video of a zookeeper he goes into a lion enclosure to feed. I know, it doesn't work. We can put them up. But who knows? I had them reprogrammed this week. I, I, really, I really don't understand that. <sighs> Let me come back to my story. So this film uh, shows a zookeeper and he's going into the lion enclosure to feed them. Uh, now, he thinks the lions aren't in there. And so he goes in with this great big... Uh, red bucket full of food, it's like this. And all of a sudden, two massive male lions, they've got manes and everything, they come towards this surprised zookeeper who didn't realize that they were even in the cage. And, and the video is from this tourist filming through the, the fence. And uh, the two lions, they walk towards the keeper, and then one of them just puts his hand up and psh, knocks the, uh, try to knock the, the food out of the, the keeper's hands. And... Um, the keeper is sort of trying to push them away with the bucket of food. And then the other lion just comes from the side and just knocks him over. And then all of a sudden, the two lions are on top of this man. And the person filming is screaming. And the man just lies there not moving as one lion grabs his shoulder and starts gnawing like this. And the other one grabs his thigh and, and starts doing that. I know we've got a trauma surgeon who's just now calculating what he'd need to do to fix that. Well, the video actually rolls for almost three more minutes before anything happens as these lions just keep mauling this guy. And uh, finally, one of the other zookeepers throws a great big empty trash can, a big steel trash can over the fence, and it crashes and clutters, and the two lions are scared and they run away. And uh, the man, uh, the zookeeper goes in and they rescue the zookeeper. 
And actually, apart from some puncture wounds and some bruising, he was completely okay. But when the man described what it was like to have two big lions biting on him and chewing on him, it's the stuff of nightmares. He said, I just lay there trying not to move. I had my eyes closed because I didn't want to see what the lions might do to me. Could you imagine? Now, what does a zookeeper have to do with the fear of the Lord? Well, I think a lot of people go through life as if God is not in the enclosure. As if... um, God is not anywhere to be seen, that that our world is free of somebody as impressive, as awesome, as scary as God can be. Or they might think that, you know, if there is a God, he's nothing to be afraid of. He's like, you know, the baby animals in a petting zoo, this fluffy God who just wants to give you what you want. That's what they think of God. But in the Old Testament, that's not what happens when people encounter God. You think of Adam and Eve who after they sin, they hide from God because they're afraid. And then there's Moses who hides in the rock when God passes by because he says, nobody can see my face and live. And then Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees the Lord and and, uh, this high and holy God sitting on his throne with angels above him, he falls on his face and he says, woe is me, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. See, when we understand the holiness of God, it's like standing before a fully grown lion, especially when we understand how far from holy each of us is. Um, the idea of the holy and the holy living God, it actually should fill us with terror, a holy terror, because each of us stands guilty before him. Uh, whether you know it or not, we have ignored him. Uh, we don't do good when we should have done good, and we've done evil, and often by our own choices. There's a right fear of the Lord that comes with understanding who he is and what we are like inside. That's just the opposite of what the the self-help books tell us. You know, they say we're good and we're getting better. But actually God says, on your own, you can't stand before me. And that's why Jesus teaches us to confess our sins. He teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to say, Father, forgive us. And we can't just front up to God full of self-confidence and say, thank you, God, that I'm not like the sinners. That's not how we come to God. No, we come before the living God with reverence, that is, with holy fear and godly fear. But fearing the God, a fearing God is just the beginning because God doesn't reveal himself to us only as the judge. That's not the only way that we know God. If we know the Holy One, we'll know that his, his holiness is tempered with mercy. So that the judging God that we know is also revealed as the one who exercises mercy. Our God forgives every wickedness when we turn back to him in repentance. And that side of God, that's what we're going to focus on next week as we look at the New Testament. But it's definitely there in the Old Testament scriptures too. Um, So fearing God and knowing God, it means that we understand who we are in the world. And and that's the basis for living. Uh, Second point, obtaining wisdom. How do we obtain wisdom? Um, I noticed over the years I've been gaining more gray hairs. Um, Is that how we gain wisdom? Uh, In our world, we often associate our wisdom with age and youth with foolishness, and plenty of the times that's true. Um, And especially uh, the more that 
we live on this earth, the longer that we're around, the more that we learn different things. Um, some lessons we learn the hard way, we learn from our mistakes. Uh, some lessons we never learn, no matter how old we get. But when we read the Bible, and what we read here in the Bible is that, the, is that wisdom is not just for the old. God's wisdom is available to anybody who listens to God. So look at Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is what I have printed for you on the sheets. It says this, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Do you hear what Solomon is saying? And by the way, Solomon was the wisest of all people on earth. Uh, he writes these Psalms. Solomon says we don't just become wise by living for a long time. That's not how we become wise. No, we become wise, verse 6, when God gives us wisdom. We become wise when we hear from God's mouth knowledge about himself and how to understand this world and this life. Uh, there's a, there was an, a Monty Python movie when I was growing up called The Meaning of Life. It was very silly, all these comedy sketches, but it was the comedians trying to make sense of what life is all about. Uh, there was another 80s cult classic called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, and there was a secret in that movie, which was the secret of the universe is the number 42. It also just didn't make sense. People are wondering what the meaning of life is. People are searching for meaning, they're searching for understanding. People struggle to know why the world is the way that it is. We struggle to know why things happen the way they do. Why do bad things happen? Why do we get cancer? Why do we, why do we hurt one another? Why do people hurt one another? We're searching for meaning because the world's wisdom can't explain that stuff. But God tells us who we are. And he tells us what this world is like, but mostly he tells us what he is like. See, if we know God, then we know how to live because he shows us how to live and we're made as those who are meant to bear his image in this world. Now, it's easy to say that we're made in God's image. It's much harder to live that way. So, if the, again, the writer of the Proverbs, he tells us what we must do to find wisdom, to, to have wisdom revealed to us. Look at it again from verse 2. He says, turn your ear to wisdom. He says, apply your heart to understanding. He says, call out for insight. Cry aloud for understanding. Look for it, search for it, and then you will understand the fear of the Lord. All in those little verses there. Um, there is nothing passive about gaining wisdom. Wisdom doesn't just sprout in us like gray hairs. Uh, we don't just become wise Christians because we've been going to church for a long time. We need to call out to God in prayer for wisdom. We need to search the scriptures to know God better and to discern his ways. We need to actively pursue God's thoughts and God's heart and God's commands and God's wisdom to live properly as those made in his image. Are you doing that? Are you pursuing wisdom, the wisdom that is God's? Uh, whether you're young or old, you can be wise in the Lord if you seek his wisdom and God will give it to you. He, active uh, seeking after God's wisdom pays off. By faith in Jesus, God pours out his Holy Spirit into us who teaches us if we'll listen. 
Uh, and there's a, a little wise or careful word for the older ones amongst us here. And I say this carefully as, as if I was exhorting my own father. Um, the older we get, the more worldly wisdom we acquire. A worldly experience and business acumen and um, you know, parenting and grandparenting achievements and financial stability, all of those come with age. And the danger is that those become the wisdom that we trust in. You know, it's easy to find our meaning of life in those things. And it's very easy to communicate those to our children and grandchildren as the real meaning of life. But remember, again, what the wisest man that ever lived said. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the gaining of financial stability, not, not having great health. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The most important wisdom we can learn in this lifetime is what it means to live a life where we acknowledge God and live according to his ways. Uh, so keep working at obtaining the right kind of wisdom and encourage your family to do the same. Uh, last point, um, the outcome of wisdom. What happens in the world and in our lives when we live wisely? Uh, well, we've learned that wisdom comes from God and that God gives wisdom to all who seek it actively. So what will godly wisdom look like in our day-to-day -day lives? If we have wisdom through God, what will change? Well, let's look at the second half of Proverbs 2 and starting at verse 7. It says, God holds victory in store for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. And then you will understand what is right and just and fair every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you what are the outcomes when we live wisely well i want to focus on verse 9 those three words when we have god's wisdom we will understand what is right and just and fair could you imagine that in every decision that you made in life you think of those three words what would be right what would be just what would be fair? Uh, the word right in Hebrew is the word for righteous. And we know that righteousness comes from God. And God sets the standard for what righteousness means. God defines righteousness. And so when we decide to act in accordance with godly wisdom, we need to ask, is what I'm doing righteous? Is this the kind of thing that the God who would do no evil would do? Am I upholding justice? Am I living with integrity? God's wisdom, it changes us. And it changes how we live. It makes us right, just, and fair. And by the way, this is not the first time that Solomon has used these words. He has them in chapter 1. He says the outcome of wisdom, the, the whole of these proverbs is designed so that we will do what is right and just and fair. And I, I know I haven't printed it here for you, but if you just read the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3 alone in the book of Proverbs, we see what this disciplined and prudent life um, does for us. It, it talks about humility, it talks about wealth, talks about discipline, it talks about hope and assurance, talks about compassion and revenge and envy. Proverbs has a lot to tell us about doing what is right and just and fair. And there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. You could read a chapter every single day and rotate every single month and just let God's wisdom keep washing over you day by day. Um, I've done that before. It's a wonderful way to study. I recommend you study other things too, but just hearing that wisdom day by day, it's a way of continually seeking God's wisdom. 
But let's finish with a tiny bit of a warning. And the warning is this. Come back to Proverbs 2, verse 7 and 8. And look at just the last word in each of the couplets. And the last word in each couplet. God holds victory in store for the upright. Uh, He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just. And he protects the way of his faithful ones. The words at the end of each couplet. Upright, blameless, just and faithful. Uh, In a worldly sense, none of us will ever live completely upright lives, will we? And none of us will ever live blamelessly, no matter how much wisdom we gain from God, and none of us will act with justice in every situation. We're made to live that way, that's what it was to be made in God's image, but it's impossible for us with the stain of sin. Those words should, um, the words, goodness me, we are made to live that way, but sin makes it impossible for us to live perfectly. And uh, I guess when we realize that about ourselves, it should make us cry out like Isaiah, woe is me. But that's where the last word comes in, faithful. See, the wisdom of the Old Testament will point us to the one man in history who did live an upright life, whose walk was blameless, who came to bring justice into this world. Of course, that was Jesus And it's only by faith in Jesus that we truly know victory as Jesus shields us and guards us and protects us from the effects of our sinful decisions so that we can be counted blameless in him. That's the wisdom we're going to look at next week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wisdom. We pray that we would fear you rightly, not just your judgment, but also to fear you and know that you are with us and that you bring mercy and forgiveness. Our Father, help us to trust in you and to live wisely to do what is right and just and fair. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.